0: Okay, so here we go. Uh, last week we sort of started into this new series with Pastor Frank as our guest speaker. He talked about a different message than, the, than you might receive. We, we're, this whole uh, series is called Mixed Messages and I'm gonna talk a little bit about what that means, but we st- kind of kind of soft launched it last week, but let me, uh, let me do the real launch this morning. We're gonna be into this series for the next few weeks. Have you ever uh, in your life had an unpopular opinion about something? I've seen your Facebooks. I know it's true. It just, it it seems to you that something is obviously one way, but you know that if you say that out loud, you might get cancelled. Like, this is what I'm talking about. And you can argue with someone about your opinion until you're blue in the face, but you're never going to get the other person to see reason. Does anybody hold opinions like that in their life? I feel like I might yell a little bit frank this morning, and so you just might want to be careful with this microphone. I, I recognize that I had one of, these, uh, one of these unpopular opinions over the Christmas season. I wrote the beginnings of this message like a couple of weeks ago, so Christmas was still fresh. Remember Christmas? Doesn't that seem like eight years ago already? Yeah. I was uh, driving home. You know, you, do you guys do this? You put Chime FM on for most of the Christmas season because they always play the Christmas music. Blue Christmas came on, Chime FM, for the... 8,000th time, and it hit me, while I was listening to it, this is a terrible song. Yank, Yeah, amen, sister, yeah, it is a terrible song. Um, uh, in fact, that's not even where my unpopular opinion stops. It actually hit me, I, maybe I shouldn't, I should have just rewritten it. Elvis, Elvis is terrible. Elvis is terrible, that's how I felt in my spirit. I was like, this is terrible, everything about this is terrible. I just caused a church split, I think, this morning. Honestly, some of his songs are truly awful to listen to. It's awful. And I might concede that some of his early stuff was decent, but his exaggerated weird vocals, like Blue Christmas is a great example of this, is just not pleasant. It's disgusting. I hate it. Turn the channel. I don't like it. I don't like it. What? There's some shock in the room. Is everybody okay off campus, Pastor Aaron? Are we okay? They haven't gotten to it. They're a few seconds behind. When they get there, I don't mean, I know. So I'm sorry, but anything that sounds like that, I'm a, it's a hard no for me. No, thank you. And the thought of sitting and listening to a whole album of that is unfathomable to me. And I love music. And I gotta tell you guys something. This is a completely unnecessary opinion. I don't even have to say that out loud. I'm just doing it for the effect this morning, and although it is true, I'm not lying to you. Uh, Some of you, at this point in the sermon, might already have some opinions of your own that you would like to share with me, and I have a feeling there will be a lineup for me after the service. I will be hiding in my office. Honestly, I know it's kind of ridiculous to have like a very strong opinion about a musical act because music is music, it's very personal, and everybody has different preferences and all that kind of stuff. And musical taste can be very divisive and, and all of those kinds of things. But I really respect that you all have the right to listen to whatever you want, even if I don't share that opinion. But here's the thing about Elvis: this is why this particular, this is why this particularly hit me, okay? When I was listening, because Blue Christmas, whatever. This is why this hit me. Because Elvis is a really big deal. Like, a really, really big deal. My uncle and my cousin were in an Elvis tribute show a few years ago that I went to see. Actually, it was a really good show. Um, And it was really well done, but it was also one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen, and here's why. Not the cast, even not the music, because some of the music was good and whatever. It was the women who were in the audience swooning and screaming at the actor who was playing Elvis. Like they really thought he had come, like he was never dead actually, I guess is the whole thing about Elvis. They actually thought it was him. It was the creepiest, most embarrassing thing I'd ever seen, these women screaming and like throwing things at the actor. And they were like, yeah, this happens every show. I'm like, what is, this is embarrassing. Why is he such a big deal? Have you heard Blue Christmas? I don't understand. Like I'm going to have death threats in my inbox, I think. And if he's, my thought was just kind of this, listening to that song. If he's that famous and that well-loved and he has sold that many albums, I mean, first of all, it might be that I'm wrong, but maybe not. Um, He has to be on everyone's favorite list, right? Like, if, if everybody thinks one thing, then it has to be true, right? Well, for me, not so much. Because the, the, my thinking was this, just because something is extremely popular, to the point where these women would be like screaming and swooning over an actor playing him, just because something is so popular doesn't make it necessarily right. So we'll obviously go outside of just Elvis. We can probably, in the case of Elvis, I'll just concede that if you listen to his music, Be free as much as your heart desires. Please just don't put it on when I'm over for dinner. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Enjoy it. I'll be listening to something else over here and I'm happy for you. We hear all kinds of messages in our culture like this over and over and over again. We we live our lives uh, from our culture's collective wisdom and we do this more than we realize. And then we spend our time and our money on what seems to make sense from the messages we're receiving from our culture around us. But we very rarely stop to ask ourselves, do they really work? Are these are these ways that our, our culture is collectives our culture's collective wisdom like influencing our lives? Are they are they making us happier, making things easier, or our lives more satisfied? Do we have peace and joy and hope and purpose in our lives, living out these attitudes, this collective wisdom? Is Blue Christmas really working in my life, or is there another station that I could be tuned into? That's the point. The series that we're into now here is built to identify the messages that we hear all around us, often so very subconsciously. I wanna bring some of them to light and offer alternatives from scripture. We're gonna be doing this for the next few weeks. And following Jesus' way is intentionally different. I wanna point that out. And I believe far better for human flourishing than our collective wisdom as a culture, than our traditions, than anything else that we could be offered. And so that's what we're going to do. So, uh, so while you might have uh, a talk about an unpopular opinion, I'm gonna share a few over the next few weeks. Uh, we're gonna share a few together. But there's no, <laughs> the Bible speaks not about Elvis, so we'll just lay that aside. And we're gonna look at some, some things that are counter to popular culture in Scripture, unpack them and see how they will actually be better for us in the long run when we do it God's way. So here's the first message from this morning. Uh, the culture says this, follow your heart. It's a good one, eh? That's nice. Follow your heart. Here's the Bible's counterpoint to that. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> es- essentially. We'll break it down, but that's essentially the counterpoint in Scripture. I, I, uh, to be honest, I love the idea of following your heart. It's the basis for some of the best plot lines ever. In books and in movies, whatever. The hero has to find something within themselves. They have to, 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 they get to know who they truly are and to know what they truly want to do. And then they do that thing regardless of the cost and it leads them to true happiness. It's so, such a good, good plot line, isn't it? And so, how could it not be true? And it feels so right and so good. And we also probably in our lives have some anecdotal evidence of this too. We have, uh, Uh, stories that people that we know or or stories that we've heard, of people who have done this, who have gone against the grain, who have uh, become an artist instead of taking over the family business, right? Or who have married this person instead of that person, and it worked out great for them. It was a great decision in the end. So how could it be wrong to follow your heart? In Scripture, uh, it's not that following your heart will always lead to disaster, the issue in scripture is that your heart can't be trusted as a compass for your life and if if it is your compass then you are asking for trouble jeremiah 17 it's going to be on the screen it's obviously in the UVersion version app for you today and there's some bibles in front of you jeremiah 17 uh 9 and 10 says this the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct and according to what their deeds deserve. It says here the heart is beyond cure. In the Hebrew, that means like desperately sick or corrupt or mortal, like going to die. The message paraphrase says it like this, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. And in Hebrew, the word for a heart uh, refers to a person's whole inner life, the, the will, the thoughts, the motivations, the emotions. It's, it's a much deeper and richer uh, way of thinking about this term than our Western thinking of, of, we think of heart, we think of emotions, right? Maybe our gut. But the, the Hebrew word is like really encompasses the whole person. And so with that definition, this is this scripture in Jeremiah is more dire than you might think because it's not just our emotions that are beyond care, but our whole inner life is desperately sick, corrupt, and hopelessly dark. Yeah, that. That's a quite a sobering judgment, isn't it? It's a sobering judgment on you and me. And I don't like it one bit. I didn't like it when I read it, I didn't like it when I studied it. (laughs) I didn't like it one bit, I thought, well, I try to be a good person. I'm not like, like so beyond repair, am I? Then I just like sat in that for a minute, it was a bit uncomfortable. And I started to realize some truths about myself. I just really tried to allow the Lord to say, I asked the Lord, like, is this really true of all of these good people that we have in our lives? But when I intentionally sat in this and I set aside my offense at it, I realized some truths. It's a bit uncomfortable. So much of what I want in my life is to make myself more comfortable. I can easily lie, or withhold information to make myself look better to others. It's not even hard. I can feel very put out when I have to give up something for someone else. I want to be a good person, but to be honest, my instinct is for myself. And if I truly follow my heart, my life will be a shrine to my own wants and desires. Self-absorbed, self-centered. I wish it wasn't true, but I know that it is. And when I help others, it's because somehow it helps me or makes me feel good so much of the time. I mean, that's, that's the core of my sinful nature. And even if I try really hard to be a good person, I can't trust my heart to make good decisions for me. Because what might feel good or feel right to me today might lead me to some very unfortunate consequences tomorrow that I don't have the ability to see or anticipate. I don't. I'm blinded by myself and what feels good to myself in this moment. And so my heart is desperately sick, and it's beyond cure. Jesus taught about this in Mark 7. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's... For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. In Luke six forty-five, Jesus also said, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, the words and behaviors you see from me and from each other come from what's actually in our hearts. You, you can't change your behavior. You can't change the things you say without changing your heart. You can't fix your words until you change your core motivations and your attitudes. And so, what can we do with these hearts of ours? It seems like they can't be salvaged. So the antidote in Scripture then is actually not medicinal, but surgical. God knows our hearts. He knows this is true. This is our sinful nature. This is the sin that we were born into. He knows our hearts, and he makes us an offer. Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19, and 20 says this. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-six says it like this, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, the antidote to a desperately sick, beyond cure heart is a heart transplant. Literally, that's the, the image here. It's a new heart. It's not medicinal, it's surgical. We get to exchange this incurable heart of stone, this stubborn, rebellious, selfish heart, for one of flesh, which according to Jeremiah 31, 33, he talks about this some more. This this new heart has God's ways, his law written on it, and it allows us to know that we belong to God. That's a very different kind of heart, friends. So the culture says to us, follow your heart. Do what feels right to you. And the Bible says, do something completely else with your heart. I have a way better way for you, and it's found in Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I mean, this is the thing we're looking for anyway, but here's the way to achieve it. Here's the actual way to achieve it. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is what a heart transplant looks like. This is the life of the person who has had an exchange of heart, this heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And it's very interesting to just kind of think about that metaphor of a heart transplant, that parallel we have in modern medicine. It's not a perfect metaphor, but it will help us maybe a little bit, because when someone needs a new heart, they are, in fact, desperately sick. That's a very, very serious issue. And they are not able to go on with life as it normally is. They are on the edge of death, literally. And once that patient receives a new heart, they take immunosuppressant medications, don't they? To ensure that the body doesn't reject it and attack the very thing that is keeping it alive. And when a heart transplant works, the body becomes strong and able to move and to breathe easily and is able to truly live, no longer confined to that bed, no longer on the edge of death. And that's literally the picture. I mean, way before modern medicine uh, was here. But this is the picture that we have here in Scripture. That old heart, that sinful nature can't be trusted because it can't be fixed. It's dying and will absolutely lead to your spiritual death. But when you trust God, you get a whole new heart, a heart transplant. And then the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and gives you the strength and the wisdom you need to protect that new heart, to listen to it, to allow it to become firmly established in you and make you spiritual vital, vi- spiritually vital and make you able to grow in Christ. The heart that follows itself is beyond cure, but the heart that trusts God is promised life and, and direction and soul health. Which do you choose, right? So for me, this is really an issue of humility. Humility how to make this exchange happen in your life, how to be that surgical patient, do I really believe that my way is best or do I believe that God knows better? I mean, that's literally what it comes down to. Do I think that my way is best or do I believe that God's way is better? It takes a lot of humility to admit the second. But it also leads to life. Some of the commentaries I was reading around this were describing some of these phrases in uh, in Proverbs in the Hebrew. And the idea that wise in your own eyes is not merely being proud of your own wisdom, but being self sufficient in it. It's a really rich phrase. You feel self-sufficient in your own wisdom. You've got this. You know what to do. You you think you you know the path forward. And you don't need to refer things to God because you've you've already figured this out. That's the idea here, when you're wise in your own eyes. But the fact that when you trust in God and not in your own wisdom, he makes your paths straight uh, means more than just he guides your life, though he certainly does. It means that there's a picture here that God is going before you and removing obstacles. He's making a smooth path for you. He's making the next step possible for you in your life. And perhaps even better, there's maybe another nuance in here that uh, he's, he's bringing you to a goal that he has set out for your life. I know you probably have goals for your life. I do too. But I want you to set that up, maybe a goal you have for your life through what you think, what what do you really think about God? What kind of goals do you think he has for you? Which one do you think is really worth pursuing with all of your heart? You have to, that's literally, that's that's the the, the Christ following life. You have to make that decision. Which one do I think is going to lead me to where I actually need to go, need to be, is gonna create an actually life abundantly as scripture would say. I wonder though is, if you're hearing this, you maybe have the same question about it as I did as I thought about this whole desperately sick, hopeless heart thing. What about when you or I or somebody we know who maybe doesn't call themselves a Christian, what, if, what about when people do good and they're not even following Jesus or doing it for a good reason that we would consider good, like a scriptural reason? Why, why does it seem that sometimes it is a good thing to follow your heart? Why does it sometimes work out that way? People's hearts don't always seem to be beyond cure. There's some good in the world, right? Please say yes. You've seen some good in the world, yes. You're like, this is so depressing. I know. You know you've seen this. You know that you have done good in your life. You know you've helped others. So why is that? How do we reconcile that with these scriptures? The truth is this, I think, pretty simply, sometimes we do get it right on our own. I'm not exactly sure why that is when Scripture is so clear about what our sinful nature is capable of. Perhaps it's the common grace that we all experience because we live um, in this time of grace. We, we, we live in this time uh, after Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. There's a, 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 that phrase, the common grace, that maybe you've heard before, a theological term that we all get to experience in some way. So maybe because of that, there's things that we just know are right and we walk in them. Or perhaps it's because of our Imago Dei, uh, us being made in the image of God. There are things in us that we understand come into alignment, that make sense to do good, to reach out, to love others, those things. When our hearts lead us to do good, I believe that when, you, when that happens or when you see that in somebody else, I think what you're also going to find is that your actions and attitudes line up with Scripture, that they are following the commands of Christ. It's such a beautiful thing, even when we do it unintentionally or we, or we do it sort of maybe, maybe naturally, but not from any specific surrender to the Lord. When things are good around us, when we see good, when we do good, you'll also notice that those things are in line with Scripture. I'm really glad for that. I'm really glad for that common grace, for us being made in the image of God and having the capability to do some of those things. When our lives look like the teachings of Jesus, whether intentionally or not, it's a good thing because his way is so beautiful and right. The trouble is this, though. We just don't have what it takes to live that kind of life with consistency. To consistently with our own strength, be able to walk out the things that are for our own flourishing, the way that they were intended to be, the way they're laid out for us by our creator. Our hearts maybe want to do good, but they can't be trusted. Scripture is so clear about this. Because of our sinful nature, our own propensity to do it our own way, to rebel against God, to be the ruler of our own lives. But the beautiful message of the gospel of grace is that The answer to that is not just to try harder, to hope for the best, to hope that we can balance the scales by the end of our lives, or to hope we don't do anything too bad that we really wreck our lives. That's not the answer. That's not the gospel of grace. The gospel we are offered, this offer from God himself, is a new heart entirely, That is in line with the scriptures, in line with the commands of Christ, in line with the way that God, with God's wisdom and not our own. It's one that can be trusted, a heart that you can trust, a heart that you can rely on because it leans into God. It leans into the source of all goodness, of all love, of all wisdom, and of salvation, just to name a few things. When you have received a new heart from the Lord... You literally are living a new life. It's an exchange that, that means that you can trust your heart. You no longer are in a place where your heart is desperately sick beyond cure. So there are two applications, if you'll allow me to continue with the metaphor. And the first one is this. Or maybe they're questions, maybe yeah, the questions applications. Are you ready? for a heart transplant. Maybe you hear me describing a heart that is just striving and trying and failing and, and, and leaning or rebelling against God, doing it your own way, whatever, whatever description made sense to you and you, you have never made a decision to say, I want a new heart. I don't want to try to just follow this heart that I have. I want a new heart, one that I can trust, one that's ruled by the Holy Spirit, one that uh, leads to life, one that I can trust its wisdom, uh, not one that I'm just trying to do my own thing and hope for the best. I actually want to make that exchange. In order to do this, it literally is a matter of you trusting God with your life and believing in Jesus, what he did for you on the cross. We're going to gather around this table in just a few moments. It is literally this prayer that says, God, I I don't want to be the Lord and ruler of my own life anymore. I don't trust my heart, and I I know I shouldn't, and I don't trust my heart. I want to trust in your heart. I want your way. And humbling yourself to that point and saying, I see what Jesus did for me on the cross. came and died in order to pay the price for my sin, for my rebellion and I can receive that forgiveness and receive a whole new life, receive a whole new heart in me. That offer stands for you if you've never made that decision. The second thing, the second question is for some of us who have made that decision and we are in Christ and we are walking this Christian life. This is maybe a dumb metaphor, I apologize in advance, but maybe you'll just you'll give me. Here's gra- there's grace for this. Do you need to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work as an immunosuppressant in your life. You're just allowing everything to come against and attack your heart, to attack his wisdom, to attack his way, to let you be led by fear instead of in the confidence in Christ. All of the things that you've been given, we were singing about this morning, the things you've been given in Christ through the Spirit, and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in your life. And you need to allow Him to protect that heart that He has given to you and let it do its work in you. Trust that heart for wisdom. Trust that heart for direction. And, and you've been letting all of the other things come and attack it. And, and it's time for you to say, no, I trust you, Jesus. I, I, the, you, you said, Lord, that, Lord, that the, the, your law would be written on my heart so I know that the right thing the right next step, the right decision, the right reaction, all of these things are written on the heart that you have given to me and I will submit to the thing that you want to do. Some of us need to make that decision again today. So I want you to consider that. Worship team, I'm going to invite you to come. I want you to consider that this morning as we gather around this table. Because the Lord's Supper truly is the gathering place for the church for this reason. It brings us back... To the, to the very center of how this works, that this is not about us and what we can do and what we can earn and what we can try to uh, do right on our own, but in fact, this is a place of humility and grace and mercy, where we come empty and we leave filled because of his great love for us. Where we come and say, I could never have done this for myself, but Jesus did everything that I needed already and I'm so grateful to him for his great love and his mercy, and I receive it again in my life. This is also a place that, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, I'm going to ask you this morning, uh, while we start to participate in this together, you don't have to participate at all. I just want to invite you, no one's going to think it's weird, no one's judging you. Um, just just observe, this, observe this time that those who have made a decision for Jesus that we participate in. Just observe it. Consider it. I invite you to consider it see what it means, see what we say, see what, that, see what that looks like, and just see what the Lord might be saying to you, listening to uh, what I believe the Lord would be saying to you today. And for us who are knowing that we have already experienced a heart transplant, I want to invite you as we gather to the simplicity of these elements to ask yourself if you are living in the submission and surrender that the heart transplant that you've already received has already given you the ability to do? Are you living in a way that honors Christ's sacrifice, that follows in his ways? So let's ask ourselves, let's ask. The, invite the Holy Spirit to do that work in us today. So here's what we're gonna do. In just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand. Uh, the team's gonna lead us. We will set this up for you. And then um, I'm just telling you this in case you're new. Of course, off campus, this would be a great time to grab that juice and crackers or whatever you've got at home. You can participate with us. Um, I will just release the front rows and just row by row, uh, we'll come up, take our elements and then go back to your seats and you can hold on to those elements, the the cracker and the juice and and we'll take them all together but we will come and receive them at the front. And as we do and as the team leads us, I want to invite you again, ask yourself the question, do I need a heart transplant? Have I made a decision for Christ? Or do I need to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he is already trying to do in my life. So let's stand together. Servers, I'm gonna invite you to come and we'll get set up and when we're ready, uh, we will participate in these emblems together.